Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you guys here. Make sure I'm in the right spot. All right, I heard a, um, let me say, first of all, it's, it, when you preach in two spots, I see how Brother Charles does it. It's kind of a, a whirlwind, but what I'm glad about is I've got all day with you guys. I had to rush out earlier. That was like midpoint. Okay, guys, I got to go, but I don't have to do that here. And so you may hate that, but I love that. I'm just telling you. I, uh, I was reminded of a guy, and he went to the doctor, had a doctor's appointment. He went in. The doctor said, we've got to run some tests. And so they ran some tests. The man went home. A few days later, he received a phone call from his, his doctor. doctor said, well, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. And the guy said, well, I'm an optimist, so give me the good news first. He said, okay. Well, the good news is you've got 24 hours to live. Well, I mean, this took the breath away of the guy. He didn't know what to say. Finally, a few moments later, he said, well, Doc, what is the bad news? And he said, well, the bad news is I couldn't reach you yesterday. (laughs) I feel kind of like this morning the message is a, a good news, bad news message because we're talking about sin. Talking about sin, and it's something that no matter where you are in life, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, we all have a struggle and we all battle with sin. That's why 1 Peter 5, it says, Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour John 10 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so I want you to realize this morning that there is an enemy who is after you, an enemy who wants to see you destroyed, an enemy who wants to destroy your life and your job and your family and your ministry and your spiritual life of purpose. And the problem is today we live in a world and we live in a culture where nobody wants to talk about sin. Oftentimes in my life, I feel like Paul in Romans 7. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever felt like that in your life? Have you ever just looked and said, I know what's right, and I want to live a life that honors God, and I want to do well, but the flesh just keeps coming back. And there's always this struggle, and there's always this battle going on in my heart and in my life. Somebody said it like this, sin, it was a word once on everyone's mind, but now rarely, if ever, heard. Does that mean that no sin is involved in our troubles? Is no one any longer guilty of anything? Guilty perhaps of a sin that could be repented and repaired and atoned for? Is it only that someone may be stupid or sick or criminal or asleep? Wrong things are being done, we know, but is no one responsible? Is no one answerable for these acts? Anxiety and depression we all acknowledge, and even vague feelings of guilt. But has no one committed any sin? What happened to sin? Whatever became of sin? And today we have churches 
who are giving new definitions to sin. And they're taking what the Bible calls sin and they're saying it's actually okay. And I want you to know that once sin is no longer in our theological vocabulary, there is no longer the need for grace, there's no longer the need for mercy, and there is no longer the need for forgiveness. The gospel is the good news to humanity because it comes in and it solves the problem of sin. If we fail to acknowledge sin, then we minimize the work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection that followed. There was a report that was done recently. It was done in the U.S. News and World Report. And the author said there is a problem in American universities. And he said the problem is termed absolutophobia. Now, y'all may want to say that on the way home because I've said it like a thousand times this week because it's, it's fun to say. Absolute to phobia. And what it means is this. It is an unwillingness to say that anything is wrong. Unwillingness to say anything is wrong. He says, we have raised a generation of children so dogmatically committed to moral relativism that some of them are reluctant to say anything negative at all. He says, in a typical American university, 10 to 20% of students will go so far as to acknowledge the events of the Holocaust, but they cannot bring themselves to say that it was wrong. They will say, I disagree with it. They will say, I would not take part in it. But then they will say, but who am I to condemn the actions of someone else? You see, in a culture of moral relativism, we would be foolish to believe that that has not soaked into the church and into our very lives. We saw it just a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Do you remember when the new law was passed in New York? The law that said it is okay to take a baby's life, in some cases, all the way up until birth. And do you remember what happened? Did you watch it? People stood Lawmakers and bystanders, they stood up and they put smiles on their face and they gave a standing ovation to death. And they celebrated the new law. And if you want to speak against it, then you are a bigot because you cannot judge what someone else does. The only problem with that is the Bible says there is absolute there is an absolute right and there is an absolute wrong and the Bible does not blur the lines. And so as Christians, as believers, as men and women who wish to honor God, we must realize that sin is foundational to our faith. Because when we acknowledge sin, then we celebrate salvation. We, we see the changes all around us from the media I was reading about how when Elvis came out, they would video him from the waist up because his moves were too suggestive. I was reading about how in I Love Lucy, you had a, a man and a woman. They were married, but they slept in separate beds. Lucille was pregnant, but they tried to hide that because that was too pushy. And now we've got Hulu and we've got Netflix and the most popular shows are rated for mature audiences and they leave nothing to the imagination. And I'm telling you, the church should stand against this. And so we're going to take the next uh, 
few times together, the next four sessions, and we're going to look at the damning nature of sin. We're going to look at the damning nature of sin, beginning with David's self-destruction. So if you have your Bible, please open to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. There's an old saying, and it says, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And I believe that. I believe we see it here through the life of David. And so I want to just give you real quickly this morning, I want to give you some self-destruction steps that we see in the life of David. Self-destruction step number one, I believe, is pride. And I say this because up until this point in the biblical narrative, David has been exemplary in every way. David has been the ideal king. David has done everything right. And it seems as though with David, everything that he touches turns to gold. Do you remember when David was anointed to be the king? Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and says, Jesse, I'm here to anoint the next king. Bring your sons out. And the sons come and they stand up and they're big and they're strong. But God says, that's not him. That's not the next king. That's not the next king. And so he says, do you have any more boys? Do you have any more sons? And he says, well, we've got little David, but he's just a little, a little guy. He's tending to the sheep. And so he said, go and, go and get him. And they went and they got David. And God said, that is the one. The Bible says he was, he was handsome. He had beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And the very next chapter in the Bible, we see where David goes and he fights Goliath. Now, you remember the story. A little, a little boy goes and he fights this mighty warrior and he's not just your average warrior. He is huge. He's tall and he's strong and he's muscular. And David comes out against this giant. And he says, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. From the very beginning, David has been a man of victory. And the people loved David. They would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. That is because of his great devotion to the Lord. He's a man of character, but I want you to see in the text before us that even a man like David is capable of shameful actions that threaten his kingdom, his family, and his life. And I tell you that because I want you to realize, if, if I'm just honest with you, I don't care where you come from this morning. I don't care how many times you have sat in a church I don't care how many sermons that you have heard preached on David and Bathsheba. I don't care about any of that because I want you to realize that you have an enemy that is seeking to destroy you. And so we cannot get prideful and say, you know what, I'm above this because you're not. You're not and I'm not. 
have you ever heard news that just really struck you? Have you ever heard news and you almost did not believe it? Just this week, the Houston Chronicle reported a three-part news story entitled Abuse of Faith. I don't know if any of you saw it. It, it. it was talking about the way that pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention and youth workers and volunteers have taken advantage of teenagers and children. It was talking about sexual misconduct. It was talking about things that should have no place in the house of God. But it was a report on sin that never should have taken place. And you scratch your head and you say, how could this happen? People that were supposedly called by God and placed in leadership, but yet they failed so miserably. You see, 1 Corinthians says, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It hit home a few years ago. Many of you will remember this. But in our community, there was a report of a local educator who had an improper relationship, improper actions with students. And I remember when that started going around, it really had a lot of people up in arms and they said, it can't be. I stand with this individual. This could not have happened because this man was strong in his faith and he was leading Bible studies in our local schools. And he was mentoring students, and he was discipling students, and he was going to different churches, and he was sharing his testimony. And people said, there's just no way this could have happened. But as the truth began to come out, it was realized that some things took place that never should have taken place. And I think as you look at, at news stories and failures of church leaders and failures of pastors and failures of people that you look up to and that you respect, you realize how busy Satan is at working. And every time a Christian falls, Satan laughs. And so we would be foolish to believe that this does not apply to us, that it does not apply to our life. Now look at, look at verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. So there's pride. Number two, I want you to see that David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. You see, when there was a battle going on, when the winter months came, they would take a break from battle. The roads would be hard to navigate, so they would take a break, and in springtime, they would resume the conflict. And the custom was that the king would lead his troops. But the Bible tells us in this occasion, David does not go, but instead he sends Joab. And it's not just Joab, but the text is emphatic that all able-bodied men are going, and they are fighting. They are fighting on behalf of David. They are fighting on behalf of the people of God. But David remained in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, it says that the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. But then in the chapter before us, we see that instead of going, David stayed home. My question is, why did David stay home? 
Maybe he was tired. Maybe he thought it really wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe he thought it would be an easy victory. You see, we're not told why he stayed home, but what I want you to see is that by staying home, David is setting himself up for failure. David is not where he should be. He was called to be a leader. He was called to lead his people into battle, but instead he decides on his own accord that he's going to stay home. And it very well could be that there are some of us in here And we're putting our life in a position that will lead to our destruction. And maybe you haven't crossed the line yet, but you're getting closer, and you're getting closer, and you're getting closer. You say, Case, what do you you mean? What are you talking about? Well, let me give you an example. Say Say there's a lady, and she works at an office building. She goes into the office building and, and say there's a, a man that starts to give her a little bit of attention. And she likes the attention. And so she notices in the morning she spends a little more time on her makeup. She, she spends a little more time picking out her clothes. And she looks forward to going into the office because maybe her path will cross this man. Because this man makes her feel special. This man makes her feel important. And her husband doesn't do that any longer. And she might say, well, nothing's happened, and I won't let anything happen, but I'm telling you, you're setting your life up for destruction. Do you know where the three most common places affairs happen are? The office, the gym, and on social media. Now, it could be on social media. You're not even face-to-face with someone. Anybody here, you got a Facebook? Y'all liars. You got a Facebook. (laughs) Don't you lie to me. And you know how you do? You go and you you find somebody's profile and you begin to snoop through their profile. And you look at all these old pictures. You don't like one because if you liked one, they would know that you're snooping. So you just go through a profile and you begin to just search all the way through it. There are many affairs that happen just like that. Because you find an old relationship, you find an old friend, and you begin to go and you begin to just look through their life. And you say, Case, there's nothing wrong with that. Case, nothing has happened. That may be true, but you're setting your life up for destruction. It could be that you've got some friends. Young people, you've got some friends that are going about life and they're doing things that do not honor God. And so far, you put the line and you have not crossed it. But you're setting your life up for destruction. Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. For he is like a tree that is planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. It started, blesses the man who keeps good company, is what it's saying. It could be anything. It could be that you struggle with contentment. And so the last place you need to go is the Bass Pro Shop because you're going to spend too much money. 
You see, as believers, as we go through life and as we really seek to honor God and we say, I want my life to honor God, it means that we need to put safeguards up and say, I'm not going to go here and I'm not going to do this and I've got this struggle and I, I struggle with alcoholism so I cannot put myself around this. I struggle with gambling so I cannot go to this place. I struggle with lust and so I've got to put this guard up. I struggle with whatever it is you struggle with. You've got to put guards up. And so David was, was uh, prideful. David was in the wrong place. But now I want you to see that David had an idle selfishness. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. Now, notice that David is just lounging around. David has nothing to do. So one day he goes up, on top of his roof, and he just begins to walk back and forth. He's walking this way, he's walking this way, but he's getting nowhere. David is in a moment of his life, and he is idle. Have you heard the saying, an idle mind is the devil's playground? I believe that to be true. I think if you look at your life, you will find that you are more open to sin when you're idle. As believers, we have a purpose. We don't have times of idleness because we are, are built in with a purpose for our life. To be idle, it means that you are lazy, you're inactive, you're without motion, you're superficial, you are pointless, you are purposeless. But knowing God, knowing the will of God, it requires obedience and it requires effort. And that is not what David is doing in his life. And so he goes up and from his high point on his roof, he looks around his kingdom and to him, everything exists for himself. The king is the master of all that he sees. Everything is there for his pleasure. And on this occasion, he looks and he notices a woman who is bathing. He looks and he catches sight of this woman, and she is most likely naked. That feels funny to say naked from up here. I guess you can say that. <laughs> I heard about a guy, and he went to uh, uh, somewhere out in Hallsville, <clears throat> and he went, and he made a church visit, and so he, he goes up to the door, and he knocks on the door, and he waits. Nobody comes, and so he rings the doorbell, and he waits. You ever do this? And then he kind of peeks around in the window, and so he peeks around. He noticed the television was on. Nobody came. He noticed there was coffee in the coffee pot. Nobody came. And so finally he was getting a little aggravated, so he pulled out a card and he wrote a note on it. He wrote a scripture, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, open the door, I will come in, eat with them, and they with me. And he left a little card on the door. The next Sunday he was preaching, and he looked up and he saw the woman that lives in that house. So he kept preaching. At the end of the service, he was by the door, and he was shaking hands. And that woman came through. She didn't say a word to him, but she handed him a little slip of paper. 
So he put it in his pocket and he kept on shaking hands. And then he got home that night and he remembered that lady gave me a piece of paper. So he took out the piece of paper, he opened it, and she had written a verse also. She had written Genesis 3.10. I heard you, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> That's not relevant in any, any way, but I liked it. I liked that. <clears throat> you see, Bathsheba has done nothing wrong. Bathsheba is not trying to seduce David. They would put water on their, on their rooftop and the sun would beam down on that water and it would uh, uh, raise the temperature of the water. Then they would go up and they would bathe themselves in the middle of the day. But here's the question. How will David respond? He looks, he notices this woman. He cannot help that. He just happens to, to glance and see this woman. And in that moment, he has a choice to make. In that moment, there is a battle raging between the spirit and the flesh, and he knows what he should do, and he knows what he should not do. Will he turn away and honor God, or will he continue to look? And this is when we find out a man's integrity. And David's glance turned in to a gaze. He gazed at the woman. He continues to look at the woman. He does not control his lust. He goes back to his instinct and he begins to look. Why did he do this? Maybe he thought it was okay because nobody knew. He's on this rooftop. He's by himself. Nobody knows what he's looking at. Nobody sees what he's doing. It's okay as long as nobody finds out about it. And there's a lot of folks, even in here, there's a lot of folks and their sin and our life. But as long as nobody knows about it, we think it's okay. As long as nobody knows about our sin, as long as we can hide it well, and there are some folks who have got sin and they have hid it for so well for so long. And you can hide it from your spouse, you can hide it from your pastor, you can hide it from your church, you can hide it from your family, but I want to remind you this morning, you cannot hide it from God. God knows. I can come up here and I can fool you and I bet I can fool you pretty good. But look, I cannot fool God. God sees me and he knows who I really am. He knows my heart. He knows what is genuine and what is pure and what is just for show and what is not. And he looks at you and he sees the same thing. He knows who you really are. He knows your character. Character is who you are when nobody else is watching. Character, how are you going to do on your taxes? Character, what are you going to watch when nobody else is around? Character, how do you respond when things go bad in your life? Character, integrity. We need men and women who will be men and women of integrity, who will do what is right regardless. Regardless of what it costs, regardless of what other people think, we will do what is right. Psalm chapter 90, verse 8, it says, You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins, and the light of your presence. You cannot hide from God. There's a story of a preacher. One day he got on a bus, and he got on the bus and gave a few dollars to the driver. The driver gave him some change. He went to the back, he sat down. Before he put it in his pocket, he realized that the driver had given him 50 cents extra. And so he thought, it's only 50 cents. It's not a big deal. Let's just go on with it. But his, his soul kept nagging him. And so on the way off the bus, he was walking out. He got that 50 cents, and he said, Sir, 
you overpaid me 50 cents. This is a true story. And the driver smiled. He said, I'm sure glad you did that. You see, I was in your church last Sunday, and you were preaching on honesty, and I just wanted to see how honest you really are. You see, people are watching. They know what you claim. They know that you come here to Woodland Hills Baptist Church. They know that you talk about Jesus, but they want to see what does that really mean in your life? Does it really change you? Does it really affect the way that you live? What is David concerned with? Himself. He's only concerned with himself. He looks to Bathsheba, and she is just an object. He doesn't care about Bathsheba. He doesn't care about God in this moment. He doesn't care about what is right. He doesn't care about what is wrong. All he cares about is himself. He is selfish. Do you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. To be a Christian means that we cannot be selfish. To be a Christian, it means that, that God is our servant. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. It's not about me or my wants or my desires. It is about living a life that honors God. You cannot be following God wholeheartedly and be selfish. And if you think about the sin in your life, you will see that they all result from a heart of selfishness, no matter what it is. We look around the, the world today and we see that there are affairs and addiction to, to pornography. I read, a, I read a report this week. It said that 46% of families report that pornography is a problem in their home. I know we don't like to talk about that in church, but it is a real problem. It's an epidemic and it is affecting those within our pews. It could be debt. Some of you are you're so stressed out because you've got so much debt that you're going through and Satan keeps putting new things in front of you to purchase and to buy and he's got you under this trap as long as you just keep spending and spending and spending. For some, it's, it's gossip and it's putting people down. That's why the Bible says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth but only such as good and building up. Last thing I want you to see, we're almost done, I promise. Sin has consequence. Look at verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now notice Bathsheba is not even named in this point. To David, she is just the woman. There could be a whole other story from the perception of Bathsheba, the perspective of Bathsheba consequence. There's a consequence. Now let me just say this. A child is always a blessing of the Lord. Amen? The Bible tells us that. I'm not saying that a child, we celebrate life here at Woodland Hills. We celebrate life every time. But my point is that David wanted to have his way with this woman and then he wanted to send her away and get back to normal. But that will not happen because sin has consequences. Do you know what sin does? It creates an illusion. When you're involved in sin, you are under the illusion that you are in control. You're under the illusion that you can go back to your normal way of life anytime you want to. It reminds me, I'll, I'll take my boys, Mason and Maddox. They're sick right now. I think they're watching on the live stream. Always pay attention. 
but they'll, we'll go out in the pasture and I'll put them on my lap and I'll let them drive the car. And, and they'll smile real big because they think they're in control, but they're not. You see, my foot is on the gas and my foot is on the brake. I, I let them move the wheel, but my hand is on the bottom of the wheel. And if they go too far, I'll stop it. Now, they can smile. They can be under this illusion if they want to, but it's really me who is in control. And there are many people, when it comes to the sin in their life, they really believe, I can just go back anytime I want to. I'm in control of this. It's not a big deal. It will not lead to destruction in my life. But you don't know that. It's an illusion that you are under. Galatians 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh and will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Isaiah 59, it says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. <clears throat> Let me close with this. Some of you have heard it before. There was a man, and he had a pet snake. Don't tune me out. I know you don't like snakes. I don't either, but this man had a pet snake. And he loved this snake. He, he bought it when the snake was a, a baby. It was a python, and, and he let this snake just go anywhere it wanted in the house. And so you'd go over, and the, the snake would just be crawling all around. And at bedtime, the snake would crawl up on top of the bed, and it would coil up at the foot of the bed. Well, time passed, and the snake grew. You've seen these large pythons. It grew longer and longer and longer. It grew thicker and thicker and thicker. And the man noticed that the snake began to change the way it would act. Instead of sleeping at the foot of his bed, coiled up, it would sleep like snuggled up against his body. And he thought it was cute, but it would, it would stretch out all along the side of his body. And then he noticed, and he got concerned because the snake quit eating. He would try to feed it, but the snake would go days, weeks, even months without eating. So one day he had enough, and he went and he, he saw the vet, and he began to explain to the vet what the snake was doing. And the vet would listen, and finally the vet had this look on her face, and she said, sir... You must bring that snake in immediately. And the guy looked. He said, well, how come? And she said, because that snake is measuring you up and starving itself so that it can strangle you and swallow you. Now, now some of you say that's a fake story. It really happened. Two years ago in Britain, there was a man who this happened to his, to his life. Now, listen, there are some of us, and we've got sin in our life. There's sin, there's things that it does not honor God. And you look at it and you think it's just a little pet snake. Something you can control, something that will not affect you. And you think it's no big deal. But I'm telling you, according to the word of God, sin brings destruction. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about this very seriously for a moment. Is there unrepented and unconfessed sin in your life? Is there secret sin that maybe nobody else knows about? But you know it's there. Is there something in your life that is not pleasing to the Lord?
Is there something that is leading you to destruction? And my next question is, what are you going to do about it? You see, 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. The Lord wants to bring forgiveness, wash those sins away. Remember our verse, for the wages of sin is death? But then it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I wonder if you've ever found forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you're here and you've been going through life a long time, but you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning, the only way to find forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus. And this could be the day that you find that forgiveness. I ask you to come down in just a moment. It could be that you're here and you know you're a believer, you know you've been saved, but you have allowed sin to creep into your life. And the Lord has shown you this morning that it is not right, it is not okay, it is not excusable, and the time has come to repent and to turn away from that sin, to confess that sin. I don't care where you do it. You can do it from your pew. You can do it at an altar. You can come pray with me or Brother Jason. It doesn't matter, but it does matter that you repent and you leave this place cleansed before the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home. This is a church that will still preach that sin is sin and it separates us from God and that we are in need of a Savior. And we'd love to have you with us. I don't know what God's leading you to do, but I pray that you'll be obedient to his calling. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for the blessings, God. Lord, I pray that, that God, you will search our hearts. God, you will show us our iniquity. You'll show us the things that are not bringing you honor and glory. Lord, I pray there will be a spirit of repentance in this room, God. That we won't give in to the sin. God, your word says that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man. But God, you are faithful. You always provide a way out for us to stand up under it. So God, let us to take that. Let us to repent and live lives that honor you. To be holy, God, as you are holy because that's our calling. So Lord, have your will during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.